Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Top 5. My name is Alex Rossin, and I am here to interview friends, colleagues about their top five favorite albums of all time. Today is Thursday, March 19th of 2020, and we have with us Paul Kramer. Paul, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Alex. It's good to be with you digitally because we can't be together physically. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so just quickly, for if this is your first time listening or hearing about it, the top five favorite albums of all time, I asked friends and family to give me their favorite top five albums of music that they would like to share with the general public just to spread the love and joy of music. Um, it can be a greatest hits. It can be a compilation as long as it can generally be found on Spotify or Apple or Amazon music or Google music or music is so ubiquitous nowadays, but as long as I can find the cover art and I can share it with everybody, hopefully you can hear these top five albums and just think about why this is so amazing and it just speaks to Paul. So we've got five albums from Paul today. Um, I'm gonna run through the list and then I'm gonna hand it over to Paul. So here are Paul Kramer's top five favorite albums. Number one, Rolling Stones, Let It Bleed. Number two, Les McCann and Eddie Harris, Swiss Movement. Number three, Van Morrison, Astral Weeks. Number four, Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense, and number five, The Beach Boys, Pet Sounds. So, Paul, how did you come by these top five? This was a hard, hard question. Um, when you posed this to me first, five year, four years ago, it kind of blew my mind. Um, hard for me to make a decision. And as I started to parse through things, I realized my top five was kind of a combination of influence in a larger scale like a social or um, musical genre scale um, but also influence in my own personal life i think what it really came down to for me is um i could listen to these albums all the way through anytime um and yeah that's about it so right. uh so they're um, like so let's start off with just the first one rolling stones let it bleed uh, is there like a certain track? What is it about the album? Are there, are there certain tracks that you love or, or what is it that really speaks to you about this album? Well, first I need to say that um, getting down to five is really hard. So there are a lot of albums and a lot of artists that were just, you know, outside of, you know, this, this core. Um, and I do understand that, you know, there are some gender, there's a gender that's excluded and a lot of other things. So. Uh, you know, this was agonizing. My favorite. But, uh, it's all good. Let's talk about Let It Bleed. Um, 1969, The Rolling Stones, rock, blues, soul. You hear some bluegrass, Americana, even a little punk in it. I just can't believe that a British band um, created this album. Um, it has a kind of a slacker vibe, but, you know, I love and you can't really emulate. Um, you know, it has classics on it, like Gimme Shelter, Let It Bleed, and You Can't Always Get What You Want. Um, two of my favorite tracks. The first one is really all about Keith Richards. Um, this is like the first song that he had, you know, full vocal rights on, and it kind of showed what he could do. He did all the guitar parts on this album. It's called uh, You Got the Silver. 
All right. Just the That's slide. track seven. You got the silver. Slide guitar. You know, I, I love how the full band comes in at the end. Um, his voice plays well off of um, Mick Jagger's. Um, the next track is called Monkey Man. And um, this was on a mixtape um, that a friend in high school made for me. And, you know, before this song, I kind of only saw the Rolling Stones as like the... Um, painted black, you know, kind of like outside of my era of listening um, or music. And this just kind of blew it all open for me. Um, lots of rock and kind of punk sensibilities. I like Mick Jagger's snarling lyrics. Well, I like this intro. It's got a fun little like, you just want to like bob your head to it. All right, so that is track eight, Monkey Man. So those are your two favorites on that album. What about uh, what about Les McCann and Eddie Harris on Swiss Movement? So this was a record I uh, found in a record store trip with my friends in high school. Just one of those kind of um, finds that 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 are special, and you know they have, you know, they just with you for the rest of your life. And um, it's live at Montreux Jazz Fest, nineteen sixty nine, another nineteen sixty nine album. Um, it's just kind of this soul jazz, you know, I think it was a really big album when it came out. Um, but, uh, I, I got to see Les McCann when he was quite older and he wasn't quite as good as I wanted him to be, but you could tell the soul was still there. And the first track, first two tracks are amazing. The story behind this is that, um, these guys kind of came together randomly, um, for this last set of the Montreux Jazz Fest and most of these songs they'd never even practiced or played before and some of them they didn't even know they were going to play and it just came out to be one of these perfect musical experiences so the first track compared to what um it's a social protest song it's kind of got an rb r&b influence um got a great trumpet solo at the end That is so awesome. I love it. I love it. I love it when you came over to my house that one time and you actually looked on my uh, my collection of vinyl on the wall and you pulled out the album and you like showed it to me. It's this white album with the two guys, you know, just sitting there and you're like, oh my God, this is one of my greatest albums of all time. And it was right there and we put it on. It was so great. And I hadn't really heard it or analyzed it in the same way that you did. And you just put it on and this look came across your face of just like, inner joy of like ah <laughs> um all right what's uh talk to me about track two cold duck time so you know more of a uh, of a jazz number there traditional jazz number but still extremely soulful again you know just the fact that they've never played this song before and they just nail it is awesome the interplay with the audience is pretty special and you know um eddie harris's tenor sax is pretty awesome i don't know if he played on this track but the guy made all these weird instrument combos like he used a trombone um, mouthpiece for a 
his saxophone sometimes or he used a saxophone mouthpiece which is i believe a you know a reed with like a trumpet but uh awesome stuff Let's move on to number three, uh, Van Morrison, Astral Weeks. Why is this in your favorite? It's his second album. Again, kind of 1968-69. This connection uh, is through college. Um, I had a a professor, his name was Dick Davis, who actually played bass on this album. And the guy was an arrogant SOB. But um, once we heard this album, we, my college buddies and I were like, oh, I, I get it. He can be... He can be a SOB because he's on this album. And uh, it's just an amazing folk, blues, jazz, classical, all kind of together. It's a lot of improv. Um, I just love how it feels like intimate, but really like big at the same time. And, you know, track three, um, it's called Sweet Thing. It's a great kind of intro track to this album. Um, There it is. I like I like the little part where it goes bam 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 bam. I always my I always like we'll have a little dance to that part. Did I ever tell you the story that uh, I almost proposed to my wife using the backdrop of Into the Mystic, and I found uh, uh, I found a song of Into the Mystic where the lyrics were removed, and I was going to write my own lyrics into it, and it was actually going to be like a proposal where I had the little backdrop, and I was going to say my own bit or whatever. Um, I went, I ended up going a different route, but. Like, you know, Into the Mystic, but of course, right? Like Into the Mystic's one of like Van Morrison's like huge songs and it's, and I think it's just beautiful, but um, I'm a huge Van Morrison fan as well. Yeah. Um, the the song and the whole album is like this layering upon layering of, of instrument. And, you know, I think one thing that's special about Van Morrison is how he uses his voice as an instrument. I mean, there are a lot of, there's a lot of awesome imagery in his songs, but how he just uses like, like sounds or scat that he does is is pretty impressive too and you know the next track madam george you'll hear um my old professor uh professor davis's bass come in pretty hard and it's kind of like the heartbeat of the the whole album and it's a cool kind of literary song i don't know quite what it means it builds slow and like he does this awesome thing with the word love at the end where he does all these weird Wait, so hang on. Did I hear you correctly that like this is a really literary song and you don't know what it means? That kind of surprises me. You being such a such a narrative guy, you don't know what it means. I don't know what it means, but I would have thought that you would. Can't figure it out. Huh. That's that's interesting. I wonder if anybody is listening and wants to, you know, throw us a line on what they think Madam George means, I'd I'd be interested. That'd be a cool little extension to this whole thing here. So Your 
I, I do love, I think, I think Van Morrison just has this great sort of smoky sound that I just love how when you can just sit back and if you can just let the sound come over you, that I don't think it's melodic uh, in the sort of traditional sense, but I think that when you can just let it pass through you, almost just like this river that has, you know, eddies and currents and things like that, and just kind of like mist coming off of it, you know, I, that's how I always see Van Morrison, you know. Um, Dude, that's all. Keeps yeah. Still. Um, all right, so uh, let's get into let's get into Talking Heads. Uh, Stop making sense. Uh, this is 1983, right? Yep. So this is a series of concerts uh, in LA. This is um, was actually made as a movie. It was storyboarded and directed by Jonathan Demme. It's known as one of the greatest rock movies ever made. I was really kind of distraught, um, including a concert. Um, album i also included you know the les mccann one at first i was thinking this had to be studio albums but to hell with it you know this is a pretty amazing album top to bottom um it's pretty cool how it how it builds in the actual film the first track is just david byrne the, the next track i believe um the basses comes out and then the, the the third track the drummer comes out too and then by track five we build to this, the whole band's out there and the song Slippery People. It's just um, just a crazy song. Um, backing singers, um, Burning Worrell from Parliament Funkadelic's on it. Um, there's again, kind of this freak out at the end by David Byrne that everything builds to with synth and keyboard interplay. Crazy. Slippery yeah. People. That was track five, Slippery People. Got to watch the movie. Okay. Um, you know, the other big one for me um, on this album, This Must Be The Place, I believe it's also called like Naive Melody. Um, a beautiful song, heavy with the sense. It reminds me kind of of my, you know, early childhood in the 80s. Um, it's the song that made that big suit famous. Of the harmonies at the end. Yeah, that this is what I generally always associate with Talking Heads, right? Just like big synthesizer '80s sound. I've never seen the movie. I, now, now I want to go check out that movie. I, I've never even seen it. But. Uh, I was talking with Sam Crodinger the other day, and you know, we were discussing what concert would be the risk would be worth the risk of um, venturing out in these current times, and uh, this was one of them for me. If I could be in LA in '83 and risk the coronavirus, I'd probably do it. <laughs> you were like, "I'm going. That's it." <laughs> All right, let's go to your last one. Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. Uh, mentioned by a number of people, by the way. I will say that this album is on a lot of people's top five. So what do you love about this album? Well, you know, it's the power of pop. 
um, focused production. You know, I kind of, in high school, I was into the jam bands and, you know, my dad was into the, the Beach Boys. And um, in college, I had a really good friend who's a genius in many ways that unfortunately society doesn't necessarily value. Um, one of the ways was um, he could write really amazing melodies. And he got me into Pet Sounds, um, bit of a concept album, made me look at my dad in a whole new way. Um, you know, you got the classics, Wouldn't It Be Nice on there and God Only Knows. Um, I really like track two, it's called You Still Believe in Me. Beautiful piano work. And there's emoting, high schoolish emotions. Brian Wilson is a crazy genius. Um, at the very, there's a clown horn somewhere in there if you listen to the song, and I always love that little clown horn. And then the, I would say, you know, the other big track for me is, you know, it's their big single from this one or another big single, Sloop John B, track seven. It's all about the acapella. It's a traditional Bahamian song. I love the Caribbean and that kind of music. It was, you know, it's funny that uh, Sloop Jumpy is on there just because this was one of our, like, camp songs, right? Like, I don't know for any of you listening who, like, went to summer camp or whatever. And when you look back at all of the camp songs, a lot of them are about either people dying or people getting drunk or something like that. But as a kid, I'm just sitting there singing, sailed on the Sloop Jumpy, and, and, and literally had no thought to the lyrics of what I was singing. I knew all the lyrics. And only when I, you know, turned like 30 years old, I looked back, I was like, wow, the, the story of this song is quite harrowing. <laughs> So Sloop Jumpy, now, am I correct? Is, is there like a deeper metaphor to this song or is it pretty straightforward that this is like, you know, a story about this trip or am I just missing the kind of, you know, deeper underlying meaning? Because that could very well be possible too. Uh, you're asking the wrong person. You know, I just really love that acapella. All right. Well, so maybe to whoever's listening to this, Sloop John B, is it straightforward or is there some sort of a metaphorical underpinning that I'm just not getting here? Because that could be a possibility too. So there you go. Um, well, we're just about to wrap up. Thank you so much. You're my, my first guest. This is the first episode. Um, anything that you want to say uh, as we're wrapping up? Uh, just again, you know, it was, this is hard work and I love the way it, it pulls out old stories and um, gives it, you a sense of kind of my worldview and experience and and yeah i mean i could keep naming bands and albums that i like but uh maybe we'll go uh, another installment later on six through ten <laughs> yeah right maybe uh well all right well so uh 
I'm going to put in some links down below, um, but you should be able to find these five uh, pretty easily on whatever streaming media service you use nowadays. I hope you listen to it. I hope you take a moment, just throw on one of these albums, play it through, hopefully for an hour, maybe when you're cooking dinner or having dinner or you're doing the dishes or something like that. Play it for your kids. Uh, you know, uh, I find music to be really uh, something that my children have started to love. And I hope uh, these albums bring you joy. Thank you, Paul, for bringing us your top five. And uh, we will sign off. Adios. Bye.